Season 10 is here, Butler. Double digits, baby. Calm down. I'm just excited to talk about our whole new slate of films this upcoming season. We've got a Shakespearean adaptation set in the 70s in the world of fast food with Scotland, PA. We're also taking on two sequels to highly popular films in U.S. Marshals and 2010, The Year We Make Contact. But I know you're more excited about our third annual Forgotten Horror. It's my favorite time of the year. Recording October episodes in the dog days of August. Forgotten Cinema, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hey there, I'm Mr. Black. And I'm Mr. Green. And we're a couple of guys who met in a comic book store. Together we host the Pint O' Comics podcast, where we invite listeners to join us to talk about movies, TV, comics, music, or just whatever. Starting very soon, we'll be joining up with the fine folks at Forgotten Entertainment, for a special limited series called On the QT, where we talk Tarantino. Every week for 10 weeks, a guest will join us to chat about every Quentin Tarantino movie from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So join us starting in May 2021. On the QT is available wherever you download your podcasts and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ooh, that's a bingo. Here at yet another DC animated podcast, we love our special episodes, including this one. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And this is Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Yeah, so before we did the 16 movies, we did a proof of concept test bonus episode, whatever you want to call it. And this is when we were raw. We were just trying to figure out the format of the show. So in interest of that, we we didn't edit this at all. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, this has been buried away for quite some time. But just like Rita Repulsa being unleashed from the moon many, many years ago, we are finally able to release this one. Very excited for it because our movie for today is currently the number one DC movie on HBO Max, The Killing Joke. Yeah, as of this time of recording, sometime in a September, very hot September day, (laughs) it is still number one. We're not going to say too much because we're going to do all the intros and stuff and explain the movie in this full audio but we just want to let you know that if it sounds different if it sounds more (laughs) unpolished or raw than usual that's because it is Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. so we're not gonna take up any more of your time we're gonna kick it over to pre-podcast shamar and andrew here to take (laughs) (laughs) pre-crisis good luck guys yeah make us proud (laughs) This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome, fan who have found this. I guess this will be like our lost pilot episode. (laughs) (laughs) When our children look generations down. They'll mark this as the most significant episode. Yep, this is the beginning of it all. This will be hidden away somewhere, um, unearthed by passage of time. It'll unearthed from the dust cloud of the sands of time. The archaeologist everywhere. <laughs> well, um, first, I'm Shamar, and joined by my friend here. Andrew also known as Arate in some circles, uh, especially if it's a circle that can get me a PS5. So whatever it takes, really. Can I join in on that PS5 hunt? I, I finished the Mouse Morales game, but um, different universe, but I just, I, I would like to play it on the PS5. <laughs> oh yeah, get that, that 4K action. <laughs> and hashtag we are not sponsored. 
Yes. But <laughs> Sony, I mean, if you want to, let us know. Um, so today we're going to talk about the Killing Joke. Um, I am a big comic book fan. I've been diving into the book since um, since I was a wee child, really. And Andrew, um, I'm here to talk with you because you are the person I felt could really talk about the storytelling aspect of a lot of these movies, shows, and um, you know, and I felt that since we you we've been lifelong friends, so I felt like since we've been having these conversations since we were five years old, um, it's time that somebody else heard them. Oh yeah, yeah, we've been down since the days of. Batman the Animated Series, when Static Shock was still on TV. So we've been having a lot of these discussions you'll hear for so long. <laughs> so, it's, so it's about time we force other people to listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned, we were talking about The Killing Joke, um, the movie that came out in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, starring or voiced by many actors that you might know from Batman the Animated Series, including Kevin Conroy, uh, Mark Hamill, um, Tara Strong. But first things first, Andrew, how did you feel about the movie? I loved the two short films (laughs) that make up The Killing Joke because one part of this movie has nothing to do with the other. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, as a quick rundown, if if you have not seen Killing Joke, we start off with Barbara Gordon as Batgirl working with Batman on a case. And this case takes them to this obsessive villain named Paris Franz. Yes, <laughs> Genius, they went with that. fun name. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. And he shortens it himself, which is even worse. Um but he, this villain becomes obsessed with Batgirl. And the first half of the movie, she's trying to catch this guy, even though Batman doesn't want her to touch the case. And she's trying to earn Batman's respect and catch this guy and prove herself as a heroine. And then all of a sudden, um, things take a turn and Batman and Batgirl hook up on a roof. So now I'm already confused that does she want Batman's attention mm. or something else? If you get my drift. Um, so we go through this story of Barbara trying to catch this guy and she eventually does almost loses herself catching this guy and quits. At this point in the movie, it becomes a Joker origin story. I don't know <laughs> how these two were to connect. I mean, the killing joke, I haven't read it that often, but what part of the killing joke is this movie? I a hundred percent agree. Um, so I felt that this was, like you said, two different films. Um, DC has this thing where they, in their animated productions now, they do the DC showcase. 
you know, it's kind of, if you ever see like a, a new DC animated film, they kind of like intro it as if you're walking through a comic book shop and then it's the one random comic that's in the back on the um, spinning catalog. And then that will be the story. And I thought, honestly, that's how this felt. Um, Batgirl's part in the first half didn't make any sense um, to me personally. I felt like it could have been executed so much better. Um, especially because there was no way that it, like you mentioned, like it didn't tie into the second half. Um, you know, it does, there's some comic connections to it, like, um, which I'm happy to talk about more because it's a big part of what I'm going to be bringing up that it actually, Batman and Barbara hooking up is actually canon. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I think that they were definitely trying to find a way to get Batgirl to quit, which did happen in the comics. And then a the year after, that is the um, story of the killing joke where not that they hook up and then she quits, but rather something happens, she quits. Um, and then the killing joke starts with Joker attacking her, kind of how it plays on the film. I think the, the part of it, the reason why they wanted to possibly add this in was I think um, Bruce Tim, who's done the um, Batman, the anime series, and along with Paul Denny throughout the whole Justice League era, um, there are mentions of Bruce and Barbara actually getting together. And I'll definitely talk about this more in a bit because there is um, also a strong relationship that builds up between the two of them that's played out here. So I think he wanted to kind of finally bring that forward but it was just not done well. <laughs> like, you're right. Was it his attention, his mentorship, or was it something else? Because another weird thing is when I feel like movies have wasted my time, I always like to stop and see how long they went on a tangent. So the first part of the movie with the Paris France stuff and the Batgirl relationship sex scene, which mm -hmm. is, like many scenes in this movie, way too explicit. Um, so this section takes 28 minutes. The movie is an hour and 16 minutes. So almost half an hour of that movie is devoted to Barbara and Batman's relationship. And then... In the second half, she's in there for maybe 10 minutes. And I'm thinking I'm being real generous saying that. Mm -hmm. So it almost feels like they didn't have the first half of this movie that they wanted to make the runtime of a standard animation film. And had they been released as two completely different stories set in the same world, and you padded it out just a little bit longer, it could have worked if you would have put some hint of the Joker in the first half. Maybe he hires Paris France because he likes the ridiculous name. But there's some thematic connections about obsession of, you know, Paris obsessed with Barbara and obviously Joker obsessed with Batman. But that's it. That's the only thing that connects these two halves. And it really is jarring to feel like you've been watching a weird Batman rom-com 
And then all of a sudden, it's a gritty, abusive taxi driver knockoff. It it really gets weird. So it's always been for Batgirl that um, she has one of the most interesting origin stories. Um, <clears throat> for her particularly, um, she first started out as a character on the 1960s Batman um, television series. Um, different storyline, but um, in that episode, she's already acting as Batgirl um, costume, has her own materials. The the route that I really wish they went with was to go with her true storyline of um, her fighting against Killer Moth. During that point, she dresses up as Batman, but Batgirl during the costume party. And um, during that event, she actually saves Bruce Wayne from being kidnapped by Killer Moth. Um, I was really hoping that with the introduction of Batgirl, maybe that they were going this route because it's something that we've never actually seen in the um, the animated series. It's a wonderful nod to the original concept of like introducing Batgirl back when um, they um, first created her character. Um, shout out to Yvonne Craig, who passed away mm -hmm. a couple years ago, uh, for playing Batgirl and being a true pioneer of you know um, female superheroes in television. They were really looking to to introduce this character, to get the show the third season, to really kind of build up more of a fan base. And to see now to have it that um, Batgirl doesn't even have this tie to kill him off. And it seems like they just saying that she's been she's been working as with Batman for a couple of years. Um, I would assume that they're trying to connect it to the Batman, the animated series run, but it falls short by trying to create this whole new separate storyline. and. 2016, I think, was at the height of the Me Too movement. Um, this wasn't the best time to drop a film like this. It really would have helped to connect with her if she had moments where she was stepping out on her own in a better way, not where she's um, being coddled and stopped um, by Batman or by her father from acting upon being the vigilante that she wants to be. It's something that does come up in the comics, but there's still some ways in which uh, they provide her with some assistance, um, mm -hmm. giving her the space and the resources to either fall or, or something like that. Um, but really, at the end of the day, it's her choice to make that decision of whether or not she wants to be Batgirl. I don't really see that at all happening here. It's just more of a, I'm angry because Batman won't let me be the <laughs> partner that I'm supposed to be. I've grown to to love Batgirl over the years because honestly I feel like she's one of the most um compelling characters in the DC universe and her arc in general has just been truly amazing and to, it was kind of bad to see it played out in this way when you have so many other storylines to put forward mm -hmm. and I have to highlight that reminds me two things about Batgirl that I wanted to bring up one of the things is what you mentioned is that we have no introduction to her she just shows up hanging on the uh, city skyline watching Batman and they have this really strained relationship, even though they've been working together for three years, mm -hmm. as we're told at the beginning of the movie. And we know Batman is standoffish to his people, but there's no reason given for the friction. Like when Nightwing shows up, you're like, oh, they've already broken apart we understand Jason Todd 
Damian Wayne are just assholes. So we know the friction is already there. But Barbara, it just seems like he's had her following around for three years and still doesn't trust her to do anything, (laughs) which is really weird. The other weird thing about her is that she makes this really strong decision to quit because she doesn't want to fall into the darkness that Batman is surrounded in. And that's fair. But as soon as she makes this powerful and independent decision, she is shot by the Joker, uh, stripped, possibly abused. It's left ambiguous. And it's, um, it's been paralyzed. confirmed that uh, Alan oh. Moore said that he did not um, that didn't happen. He didn't intend okay. that for that to happen. When the Joker comes in, if you're unfamiliar with this moment, he interrupts a family dinner between Barbara and her father, Commissioner Gordon, and he opens the door and shoots her in the spine. Because he's an expert medical technician, he knows instantly that she's going to be paralyzed for life for some reason. And... Uh, He takes pictures of her in the states of undressed while she's bleeding and and attempt to drive her father crazy later. He's going to show her all these pictures and that's going to drive him insane because that's what he wants to do because of his past reasons. Um, Because, you know, here's the crime. crime. (laughs) (laughs) This is another Tuesday. The weird thing is that when she is finally given agency, it's stripped from her completely. And that's why I agree. Like, it's a weird movie to release when the Me Too movement was starting and all these women were speaking out against being stripped of their voices and robbed of their agency. And then you do a movie where you have a heroine doing heroic things, taking responsibility for herself, and then taking away all her power to propel the rest of the plot. Because the second half is really about Batman, Joker, and Commissioner Gordon to some extent, who has not been in this movie up until this point either. So we don't really care what happens to him, honestly. I would have, and this is going to be my quick, if I can make one change section, I would have, knowing fans probably came into this thinking Barbara was going to get shot, I would have them shoot Commissioner Gordon. Interesting. So Commissioner Gordon gets taken out, so it's a surprise to the audience, and the end is about Will Barbara fall into this abyss she was so scared of because of the Joker's actions? That tiny alteration connects the first and second parts of the movies mm-hmm. and gives fans something new and interesting to play with. Instead of just shoehorning this Joker story at the end of a Batgirl story, mm-hmm. who despite all these great speeches that he makes about sanity, they just ultimately mean nothing because this isn't what we thought the movie was about. I will say the, uh, 
the DC comic fan in me was just like, shoot Commissioner Gordon, how dare you go away from the source <laughs> material? What is wrong with you? <laughs> but I do see your point. Uh, that'll be a really interesting take because it's it would tie into that abyss. I felt like that was a common theme that kept coming up. And I felt like maybe that's why they wanted to create the first half of the film in this way to have Batgirl um, fall into the abyss and keep mentioning that and then show that Batman will eventually fall into the abyss with Joker following the events of the killing joke. Mm -hmm. But I think it it would definitely still work. Um, And I'm hoping that we don't piss off any DC fans right now who are just like... (laughs) (laughs) They're <laughs> saying, why Why would you shoot Commissioner Gordon of all people? <laughs> Look, if it helps, you can pick your least favorite Commissioner Gordon and <laughs> put him in Killing Joke. So whether it's the bumbling Batman and Robin one, mm-hmm. uh, not Gotham, because Ben McKenzie is a charm yes. and we, we don't need to hurt him. He's been hurt already. <laughs> um Maybe J.K. Simmons, if he had a weird grudge. One of those Commissioner Gordons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and J.K. Simmons, if we ever see him as Commissioner Gordon again, I, <laughs> I just don't think it's going to happen. <laughs> but, well, after the long-awaited Snyder Cut. Uh, speaking about the killing joke, um, about the second half of the film, really, I guess I could mm-hmm. say. Um, just wanted to get your one-word opinion on it. It was intelligent yet hollow. There's some really great dialogue throughout this section of the movie. There's this constant theme of Batman wants to save the Joker. Right at the beginning of this section, he tries to have a nice conversation with him just to prevent any more violence, any more bloodshed. And then at the end of this section, he reaches out one last time even after all he's done, even after paralyzing Barbara and traumatizing Jim, he's willing to give him one more shot and Joker refuses this offer of help. And that is a really cool bookend. But again, it doesn't connect to the first half an hour of my experience. So it just feels like beautiful nonsense in a way. I don't know if there's a better term <laughs> because I just don't feel emotionally invested in it. Mm-hmm. it. It would be kind of like if the first half of Spider-Man 2 was just Peter dancing down the street And then the second half was like, oh, look, Mary Jane and I are now about to get married. If you don't introduce Mary Jane in the first half, why do I care about her now? It's too late. So with all the brilliance of the Joker and Batman dynamic, why do I care about that dynamic? You were trying to sell me on a dynamic between him and Barbara. I wanted to see where their relationship went and you just shove that out of the way um, for Joker. And it also is frustrating because they did this already in Batman mask of phantasm where not to get into the whole plot, but 
Joker is part of the plot from the beginning. He's not in the movie from the beginning, but he's naturally in the plot. And Batman's relationship with the villain starts at the beginning of the movie. And at the end, he tries to save the villain. That works because we spent so much time seeing him develop that relationship. But here, Joker just decides it's Tuesday. Might as well cause some chaos. And it just doesn't feel connected. And it just makes all these really beautiful words just go nowhere. Yeah, it's been two, it was two films. That's the way I see it now. And um, the second half or the second film is just wonderfully done. Um, they kind of hit the nail on the head when it came to just, it was a shot for shot adaptation for the comic. A comic which was to, said to ideally not to be adapted in any way, shape or form. Um, because there's just so many moments of ambiguity that plays out through the film that they wanted to just kind of like lead that for years and years of discussion and people like us here now to talk about that. <laughs> um, I think also they did a great job. There was some, um, some add-ins that they did that we don't see in the comic that I felt really helped to solidify some of the key moments that happened especially for me in the comic. I don't know if you saw, but in the very beginning of it, there is a um, scene in which um, uh, Batman is standing over the building and there's a sign for a like, Gotham storage and it keeps flashing out to Gotham's rage. Um, mm-hmm. That wasn't in the comic at all. And honestly, really for me, helped set the tone of a comic that I loved reading. <laughs> um, and the dialogue was more or less the same. Um, I will say uh, that the song Looney that was in there is actually in the comic. I had to read through it and realize that, oh, wait, they just put a musical score to it, but it's the same dialogue. <laughs> there was just so many different little add-ins that, um, that made me really think that they did a great job with it. Um, and I think even fans now kind of agree that it's seen as two separate films the first half is just like why why did this happen but the second half of the actual killing joke who i will say is really um what we needed all right so much like the killing joke movie we now have a second half <laughs> our transition is better i think yes definitely <laughs> so we're going to talk about the comic book versus the movie. I just want to point out some similarities. The The entire story with the Joker is pulled right from the comic itself. Um, the The origin of the Joker was actually introduced um, back in a Detective Comics number 168, one of the original ones, um, in which Joker reveals that he actually was the Red Hood, this um, thief that was operating for a decade prior to that when that Batman decides to reopen the case when he signed on to become a professor of criminology at, a, at um, I think it was the name, Bayview University, and reopens the case so that a couple of teenagers um, can see if they can solve it. Um, during that conversation, the Red Hood becomes active again, and the Joker... Um, 
um, as a way to make sure that um, to make sure that the Red Hood's legacy isn't tarnished by these teenagers solving it, comes out of retirement, dons the costume again of the Red Hood, and then reveals this history of the fact that he was um, attacked by Batman. And after he got away, that's when he actually turned, his skin color had turned into the way it did. His hair had become green. The origin told here is definitely a darker storyline. It kind of gives more of a better understanding of just like what was the motivations of Joker, um, you know, donning the Red Hood. Um, But it's the same kind of concept of reaches out to to a group of thugs, reach out to him saying they want to get help stealing some money from playing card company. (laughs) Playing card companies were loaded uh, (laughs) in the days and all the flashbacks that Joker uh, goes to to his origin story. Yeah, these playing cards were just like real cash cows. Um. I also mentioned that Looney was in the comic as well. Um, I personally didn't know it was a song until I watched this film mm. um, for the first time when it first came out. So I was kind of glad and also kind of upset that they made it into an actual song. I felt like maybe if it was like a dramatic reading, I don't know, maybe that could have been better. Um, but the differences is really where um, made the actual Killing Joke part of the film. Um, really good for me because like I mentioned there's a um, scene in the very beginning of Gotham's storage with the lights blinking out to indicate Gotham's rage Um, I think Mm -hmm. this ties in a lot with the what is the abyss Um, you know that Batman and Joker are leading themselves into with the rage that's building up between the two of them how does it come to a head Um, the other thing was there's some added dialogue um one thing that wasn't in the comic, which I thought was really good and actually gave a reason as to why Joker went after Barbara was um, that whole scene in which Bruce is on the back computer looking up information about Joker and just everything's just coming up not known, unknown. And um, he mentions that we spent so much time fighting against each other. How could he not know? How could I not know anything about him after all this time? Um, and also, possibly, how does he not know anything about how does Joker not know anything about mm-hmm. Batman? Um, but Alfred pointed out in the film that how does he know that? Um, you know, what if Joker does know something? You shouldn't be underestimating him. And then we get the scene of Barbara getting shot by Joker, which to me was just a really, really well done transition because it just solidified that moment of just like, how much does Joker know? And really shows that even though these two sides of the same coin are at equal lengths and widths about each other, there are some things that probably just are being still hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, another part was Gordon's trial. That's not in the comic at all. And I thought that was, um, it was awkward at first because I didn't really know where they were going with it. Um, I thought at first maybe they were going to have it be that Gordon was the one who um, was really on trial, but then mm-hmm. in the film they show that they're actually showing that Batman is the one that's crazy. The Batman is the one that's breaking all the rules. The um, scene where uh, Joker and his like carnival troop are are have stripped Gordon naked and they put him on trial. Yeah, and yeah, and then they're they're trying they're goading him into saying like, um, you if a person breaks the law and inflicts violence on others um what would you what 
would you do? And then he's like, oh, we got to throw the book at him. Right. And they get Gordon to throw this book. And right before it hits the Joker, it hits a cardboard cutout of Batman. You know, and I, that that was a nice. I, I I did like that scene in there. Um, I think that that scene stand is one of the few that I think stands alone. That if you put that anywhere, um, it's really effective because for the most of this movie, Batman's just beating up people, you know, <laughs> more than usual. Right. So that rang true for me, and it was. I I, I do agree. That's that the tr- the court scene. If anything, they yeah they keep that in. Mm-hmm. and also for me it was like um that by the book request that's in the comic so having this by the book request that came from the comic and having a moment with the trial happen it really kind of solidified it's just like was gordon swayed by joker's comment i mean production really of you know batman is the one that you should be throwing the book at because of everything that he's done mm. um so there is just some other like little things um, that are different um, that they showed in the um, comic as well. Just like imagery. I mean, Joker, when he was Joe, um, he actually jumps into the vat willingly in order to escape Batman. He doesn't fall over. Um, oh, in a comic, he it, it's a it's a decisive choice. Yeah. He's oh. just saying that it's time for me to escape. I it doesn't it's not as exaggerated. And I think that. Um, the him falling over kind of like solidified itself through history as kind of one of Batman's mistakes. And that, that led into the craziness that is his life. But right. here we have a moment in the comic of a scene of him willingly jumping into that vat in order to escape Batman. That, that makes sense. Cause I, I think uh, Batman 1989 definitely did where Batman knocked Joker in. Mm-hmm. Uh, or like he was trying to catch him, but it was too late. He lost his grip. And I think also <laughs> uh, the last season of Gotham, who, whose mm-hmm. Joker story gets way too complicated. But at one point, someone falls into a vat of acid. And then come out <laughs> of Joker. Again, trying to explain it. I'll need like a bunch of like red wires and a bunch of photographs on the wall. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I bet that's why they, they went with, the he trips and falls because I think um, mass media had promoted this idea that it's it was an accident. Uh, he was mm-hmm. a goofy guy, and Batman's inaction or action, if you want to call it either, um, is what turned him into the Joker, and it's a direct correlation. Yeah, and I think that also having if, having him fall over kind of knocks in the uh, his point about the one bad day. Like here's an accident. And the comic is shown as a willing choice. So if it solidifies the Joker's kind of method of just, I'm here because of crime to show you how one bad day could lead into someone becoming like me. Seeing him fall over, and I know that with Batman 1989, that was influenced by this comic, um, that scene. I think that having him fall over kind of solidifies, like you said, the, um, the diving into darkness, really. Mm-hmm. The other thing too was the uh, the shot of the room in which Batman and Joker are fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not in the comic either, and you know the this, upside down like yeah, uh, the uh, it was like an upside down kitchen that looked vaguely like Joker's apartment in flashbacks. Mm-hmm. It was a fun set piece of him like he rips a chair off the ceiling 
and uses it to hit Batman. I think that was a nice way to tie in his his past being upside down, mm-hmm. um, and you know having it literally be upside down <laughs> and weaponized against Batman. Like Joker chooses to weaponize his past and use it to hurt people instead of Batman who uses his past to. Well, he also does hurt a lot of people. Let's let's be honest. But his goal is to protect people right. by hurting people. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between, I guess, um, you know, hurting them by killing them and hurting them by just putting them in traction and disability for a bit. I, like I said, two sides of the same coin, honestly. But yeah, that was really kind of um, my comic book pickups. I also want to throw in. I did my like one change earlier, but mm-hmm. I'd also like to introduce a second section called Missed Opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Batman is, Joker's on the loose, uh, he's kidnapped Gordon, and Batman is looking at Joker in the cave. At one point on the back computer, you can see a split second image, and I froze it because I don't know, I was in this state, and I see Jason Todd beaten with the crowbar and we all know the story joker beats jason with a crowbar blows him up and mm-hmm. it's and in a lot of versions of the story he comes back as a an anti-hero after mm-hmm. his experience so the huge swing i saw there was if they could have tied that somehow to why batman keeps barbara at arm's length if they could have just thrown in a more explicit mention like Last sidekick I had got blown to hell by the Joker. I put him in Arkham for that. And now when I'm, when you see this distance between him and Barbara, I'm like, oh, I get it. You know, I instantly get it. Um, but yeah, I think that was a missed opportunity to introduce Jason Todd as an Easter egg and then ultimately not really do anything else and just say, oh, yeah, he also beat Jason Todd, which opens up more questions so that they could have answered in the first half or done more with but I I think that was a huge swing um and I am biased because I under the red hood which we would we should talk about at some point uh is one of my favorites yeah it should be the next um the next lost pilot episode (laughs) (laughs) um so I think the reason why that I, I think I've never actually even noticed that. So I'm definitely going to be re-watching this film for the third time um, this week, actually. Um, I never noticed that. And um, I don't think they included it in the comic because uh, it, didn't, it didn't happen at that point, honestly. These comics came out actually in the same year. Um, the ones I'm referencing are... Um, Kill, um, Batman the Killing Joke and Batman Death in the Family where we do see um, Jason Todd being killed in um, due to fan fan voting um, mm-hmm. I think that's like the one of the craziest things in comic book history um, the, the great comic book fans out there during the 80s called and said that we want to kill Robin um, <laughs> but um, the Killing Joke came out in March of 1988 and um Batman Death in the Family came out in the, I think it was September of 1988. So very close timeline. So I'm kind of glad that they included that, especially because it's a nod of such these like big moments in Batman's history mm-hmm. happening there. And they tied it together 
for that um for that easter egg for us and yo good eye (laughs) like i've never noticed that before Yeah, I don't I don't know why I caught it. I I think I was just looking looking to get out of the movie at that point. And maybe <laughs> while my eyes are traveling, I, I caught that on the screen. <laughs> and I want to throw in this disclaimer now, now that we're mostly through. I mm-hmm. I love DC films. I really do love DC animated films, mm-hmm. but I just which is why I was so disappointed in this one, because uh I just did not feel like I felt like they wanted to do a cool adaptation yeah. and if it had been a half hour special it would have been great I mean we had Mark Hamill back as the Joker for this after he said he wasn't going to do it anymore because right. of the strain it put on his throat um, we had Kevin Conroy back as Batman um, who will return as Batman in the future after this in much cooler ways um, but yeah, you had this all-star cast. You had these all this great talent. I I just think that this is one of the things where the story really killed um, the momentum and any hope of this being one of the classics and one of the greats. Yeah, and why for me it kind of failed was in an interview. Bruce Tim mentioned that he actually did not want to to do this film he was really leaning towards creating Batman and Robin stories, um, DC stories in general, that was geared towards kids because he felt that, you know, slapping a rated R, which this film is, kind of stops a kid who might love Batman, but because they are too young to to see this film, from, to, to then enjoying this film, seeing it in theaters. Like, you know, me, I saw it when I was old enough to pass the rated R rating, um, the stop gate, I mean. So like, you know, here is, I think that that led to him not really truly putting his heart into the film. Um, I think that he was definitely motivated um, with the the second half of the killing joke with Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy working together again. And even though he was saying that he, um, he wanted to create a story where Batgirl has some focus, um, I think that that ultimately that taking away the heart of why he's motivated to do this is what led him to create something that's just fall short for for a lot of fans like you and me. Yeah, I mean, it does have that group project energy where <laughs> you know your your partner pulls up with the a diorama they slapped together last night. Uh, you know at 1 a.m. and you have a 20-point PowerPoint presentation with graphics, video, links, and, you know, it just feels like someone worked a little bit harder than someone else here. <laughs> um, so what is your interpretation of the killing joke? The joke oh. at the end that Joker actually tells the Batman. Um, there are some theories behind it, but um, the joke that Joker tells in the very end, uh, after the final confrontation between Batman and Joker, this seems to be it. This is the moment that Batman has um, speaking about in the beginning of the film, and Joker gives this uh, this punch, this joke with this punchline. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the joke, we won't go into the full joke here because honestly, you should just watch it. It mm-hmm. we can't possibly do it justice by just talking about it. But it, it yeah, revolves I can't around Mark Hamill at all. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I I could maybe do a ledger joker, uh, but no, not a Hamill. No way a Hamill. 
but the joke follows two crazy people escaping from an asylum. And at one point, the, the, basic, the crux of the joke is that one crazy person has to trust the other to escape to freedom. Um, so this time around, when I listened to it, I was trying to figure out between the two of them, because um, one of the insane people in the joke jumps over the gap. And the other one asks, like, shines it back and asks, like, come on and follow me. Uh, so I was, this time I listened around, I was trying to figure out who jumped over the gap. Who, who is the, who's trying to shine the light back? Is it Batman trying to shine the light back and say, by saying, come on over here to sanity? Like, come across this beam and I can take you, I can save you. Or is it Joker trying to, uh, trying to reach, get Bruce to jump over that, that gap and become insane? Um, and this time around for, for one reason or another, I, I felt, I felt like it was, uh, I felt like it was Joker who was holding the flashlight and telling, uh, Bruce to jump, uh, mm-hmm. because just going back to the whole theme of this whole movie is about the abyss. And, uh, mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie, Bruce has a song speech about how he is in that space where he he's almost in that space where he doesn't care anymore. And I, I feel like Joker has found a way to escape from the consequences and the caring of his actions. And he wants so badly for Batman to just jump over and be with him. Uh, so he doesn't have to be alone on that ledge uh, anymore. And Batman, well, we don't know what he does at the end because uh, the, the ending of the movie is ambiguous uh so we don't know what his reaction to it we don't know if he plunges off plunges into the the gap and this with him we just know that he laughs at the joke um yeah so i interpreted it as a uh, joker's final attempt to to try to get batman to fall into madness yeah and that's um yeah that's one of the two common interpretations of it um since you did such a great job of speaking about that that one part um i'll lift up the the one about batman actually being the one that jumped ahead a lot of people felt that batman by jumping ahead has escaped from this life um from and by him shining the flashlight across that is him saying that here's this brighter path, this, um, this point of rehabilitation, the, the hand that Bruce is offering to Joker at the very end as well. But Joker feels that he will fall because of it. Um, he now has to accept his actions, his past, something that um, resonates a lot through the comic and the film of just, because um, he speaks a lot to forgetting about his past because that makes life so much easier why he feels so much better about the choices that he's making the dangerous choices the you know the sociopathic choices um him following along with that path means that he will feel the guilt and remorse that comes from um everything that he's done everything that he's experienced and what's worse the part about him falling about batman turning off the light will be him interpreting that Batman will then forget about him. He'll leave him in Arkham. He will um, let him rot basically for everything that he's done because what can he do 
at that point. And I think that this tends to come up a lot um, through conversations about Batman's style of catch him, lock him up, and then rinse and repeat. Um, you know, there are very few comics and shows that show Batman going back to speak with the villain that he has put into Arkham Asylum to see how the rehabilitation is going. So uh, maybe there there is some like logic behind why Joker's afraid that Batman will leave him behind. Having that interpretation made me kind of open the, open up to that a bit more mm-hmm. um, after watching this film again. Because right at that scene, Batman is offering that hand and Joker is just like, we've done this. You keep talking about rehabilitation, but... I've talked to Two-Face and you haven't seen him since, I don't know, like three weeks ago. What's going on, man? Why are you ghosting people? So um, and I think that's where it kind of, that's what I love also about The Killing Joke because like you said, it's so ambiguous about like what happens in the end because um, we don't really know. And Alan Moore made sure that we will never know. Um, there's a copy of the script that was posted online of when he first um, started drafting The Killing Joke. And there's a note at the very end of don't let it, and for people for a visual effect, it ends with um, the two of them laughing and then it pans out to a shot of the ground during this, you know, this like heavy rain and the ground just fills them more and more up with some water as the um, police cars are, have the sirens on and coming by, but then everything quiets out. So, the ending, a lot of people have wondered, does that mean that Batman has, going on with that first interpretation you said, fall into the abyss? And has he killed the Joker? Is that why it's called the killing joke? Or um, has, is it just like, for me, what I saw it as is more of a passage of time. Um, because like, if starts off with like this patch of gr- ground that's still there, but then as you see the lights turn off and everything, it's the, the ground's completely full of water showing that the rain has been falling for some time but i'm also open to the there's a possibility that batman did kill the joker at that point and that would really put a stamp of what the killing joke is did batman fall into the abyss or are they just going to continue on with their lives um fighting the good fight which actually isn't a good fight (laughs) (laughs) a lot of a lot of collateral damage right exactly (laughs) Yeah, I used to think that he. Now I'm going to take the opposite. I, you know, I. I used to <laughs> yes, I've completely changed your mind. <laughs> I've, I've completely been changed. I've converted. I've jumped over the gap. Um, yeah, there, because there's a line Batman says before the ambiguous ending where he, where um, Joker is like, "Why aren't you laughing? Why don't you see the funny side of all this drama and everything that's happened?" And Batman attacks him back with, you know, Gordon didn't break. Maybe, maybe it's just you. Maybe it's just you who breaks from just having one bad day and everybody else is a normal and you're the abnormal one. So I think that statement was him saying that, like, I had this bad day too, man. Trust me, I had a bad day. And what I'm doing isn't like normal. But I'm not you. Right. No one is going to be you. And you can't make another you. And, you know, you can try to make a Harley. You can try to, you know, break. You can break Jason. I, you know? I have some things to say about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, like, 
no one's going to be exactly in Joker's headspace. Mm-hmm. You know, no one's going to be him. He can get people close. He can drive people crazy. But no one ultimately, Joker's ultimately always going to be on that limb by himself. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's what he was trying, Batman was trying to say. Like, you're alone here. Mm-hmm. So you can either come over here or we'll just do this again. All right. I think we talked about the the killing joke in such a such a beautifully done way that um now we can go back to the awkward stage of me telling you the story about why the Bruce and Barbara relationship is canon. Yes, yes. Uh how why it's it's your coworker's daughter, dude. Like Right, that? exactly. It's I have so many questions about it. So um I just want to first start off with the history of Batgirl. Um, as I mentioned, she um, she was first introduced in the um, Batman 1960 series as the daughter of um, Jim Gordon. Um, she, at that point, was a mid-30s-year-old librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, in the episode that she premiered in, um, she was set up on a date with Bruce Wayne. As you do. Mm-hmm. And they were um, about to go on this date until, unfortunately, she was kidnapped by the Penguin. Um, you know, Bruce as Batman and Robin, who, um, you know, another point plot point was that, like, um, Robin at this point received his driver's license, so he is now able to drive the Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> um, they go out to try to see if they can find her. Unfortunately, during the events as well, Alfred gets kidnapped by the Penguin, and um, Barbara escapes dons her own Batgirl costume, saves the day. So there is the beginning part of the potential relationship between Barbara and Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, though, I think they kind of abandoned that idea a bit. Um, but then it gets reintroduced in the Batman, the animated series. I guess um, Bruce Tim was a very big fan of... Um, <laughs> of the 1960 series and this possible relationship between the two of them. Um, so I believe it was in Batman Beyond or in Batman the Animated Series, there's a um, this is kind of like iconic picture that always flashes in my mind of Bruce and Barbara together. During that point, they referenced that a relationship did occur. Um, it doesn't get confirmed until the 2013 uh, Batman Beyond comic book series. Um, It's called Batman Beyond 2.0. It's Terry McGinnis um, for fans. Terry McGinnis becomes Batman, mentored by old Bruce Wayne, who can no longer act as Batman. Um, In this Batman Beyond 2.0 comic, Barbara Gordon is the um, uh, police commissioner and Dick Grayson comes out of retirement somehow and is now mentoring um, Terry McGinnis. Um, During that point, they kind of delve into the relationship between um, Dick Grayson and Barbara Gordon and why it all kind of fell apart. Um, It was because um, while Robin or Dick or Nightwing was away at that time, um, Bruce and Barbara developed this relationship it led to her, once he came back, unfortunately, this relationship was still kind of ongoing. The relationship also led into her um, becoming pregnant. Ooh. <laughs> and in probably the funniest 
thing I've ever seen. Um, Bruce, when she tells him the news, um, Bruce automatically just says, well, I'll have to congratulate Dick. And she was like, I'm actually seven weeks pregnant and he's been back for three. <laughs> Oof. Oh. <laughs> um, Bruce tells Dick they get into this huge fight about it. Um, but then in the Batman Beyond 2.0 comic, it, they confirm or at least hint at the fact that um, this pregnancy led into a miscarriage. I haven't read much of it, so I don't really know like where did they go with it after the fact. But um, there is this relationship that came from um, two source materials that were created by Bruce Tim, And that, I think, is what he was trying to recreate here by showing the beginnings of that, but it just came off so awkward. And honestly, it was just out of left field. Like, um, yeah, it, it, yeah. Like I, that makes sense now that, so it wasn't completely out of thin air that these two have like hooked up in the past, but um, it's, it's so mishandled here that, Bruce gets it in with her once and then ghosts her. <laughs> That's in the movie, he ghosts her like yeah. after they hook up. And she's like, it's just sex. And I'm like, what? Am I watching a Batman movie still? What? Is this Gossip Girl? Is this Gossip Gotham? Like, what is Gossip doing? Gotham? Yeah. Like, I, I will actually watch that show, you know, I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> Oh, that show is also that's called Pennyworth. No, no, no. <laughs> no Pennyworth, guys, is is so dark. Um, mm. it's, it's much darker than Gotham. <laughs> but uh, uh, we we that's a big digression. Well, all that to say is, yeah, if there was some tension or anything about the relationship, even if they had just said like her dad wouldn't approve something. Mm would have worked but yeah this relationship seemed like a lot of angst from barbara's side and batman was just like no all right one time no like that <laughs> that that was his arc with this relationship and uh yeah it, it it's not a good arc nope. <laughs> it just, it's i will it's, say though i did love having the her um what was it her friend um who was talking with her in the library it was kind of like having me there listening to these questions about like wait i'm sorry this is what this is what you this is the life you chose this is what you decided to do yeah it was it was good to see someone call her out for the absurdity but mm -hmm. yeah it just ultimately was one of those things that just didn't go, it didn't go far enough mm -hmm. or i i think that too it it Weirdly, I think it could have gone further than it mm -hmm. did, or they could have played it completely subtle, but they didn't choose. And uh, yeah, it, 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 I think that really is the story of the whole movie. They, they had two distinct choices that they could have made in a lot of situations, and ex with the ex exception of the end, where you get to make the choice, um, they just don't. They, they don't know if they want this to be a uh, dark gritty noir or uh, a bat love story. They bat Barbara. Oh my god! I can't believe I got this until now. Uh -huh. Barbara narrates the first thirty minutes of the film. She has right. constant narration. 
that narration disappears. Is she telling the story? Yeah. She comes back at the end where she's like, oh, yeah, now I'm helping the city still. But mm-hmm. who told her about all those other parts, you know, like <laughs> that she wasn't there for? <laughs> She was the lot. The Batman was like, "Yeah." And then I asked a bunch of prostitutes where Joker was. This happens in the movie, guys. I'm not making this up as a joke. Batman goes to some prostitutes and's like, "Hey, y'all seen the Joker?" And they're like, "He usually stops by here. I, I don't know why he didn't this time." Yeah, like did did he tell Barbara about that? And then she put it in her memoirs. Like, I I will also say I don't think that happened in the comic at all. Um, <laughs> at least not the dialogue. There is a, a very quick flash panel sequence of just like Batman just jumping around to different places and trying to find that information. The Joker just holding up the uh, the picture of him sometimes. <laughs> and it's just like, I don't think that's something that you need to have a picture of. I feel like everybody has a good understanding of who the Joker is, what he looks like, especially at this time. I feel like he's been operating in Gotham for quite some time that they they should know. I would watch a half hour animated short about the one guy in Gotham who doesn't know who Joker is. I I would watch (laughs) the hell out of that. And I'd have, I know I'd have a ball. I know I'd have a better time than I did. Um, all right. With that, that is our show. This was the the bonus episode that one day fans will be asking for because we will hype it up just enough. Yep, <laughs> or, or we'll burn the whole thing. And this will <laughs> never <laughs> never be heard by anyone outside of us. It, yeah. It's really a toss-up. And like uh <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now that we've finished talking about our DC film, here are some recommended readings for you to pick up. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first comic on our poll list is The Killing Joke, written by Alan Moore and illustrated by Brian Boland. This iconic comic from 1988 is the source material of the film and gives more of the story behind the Red Hood Joker connection, first revealed in Detective Comics, Volume 1, Number 168. Next on our list is Batman The Three Jokers. Released in 2020, this three-part miniseries written by Jeff Johns and art by Jason Fabok with Brad Anderson is the spiritual successor to The Killing Joke. It dives into the big reveal of 2016 of three Jokers that have been terrorizing Gotham throughout all time. Batman teams up with other members of his Bat family that have been harmed by the Joker, including Batgirl and Red Hood Jason Todd, to put an end to the Joker's reign when they've discovered that all three are operating at the same time. The last book on our list is Batgirl Year One. This nine-part miniseries from 2003, written by Scott Beattie and Chuck Dixon, art by Marcos Martin and Alvaro Lopez, modernizes the origin of Batgirl. Pulling from the TV series in Detective Comics Volume 1, number 359, we get to see Batgirl grow as she takes on her first villain, Killer Moth. Not only do we get to see her learn to work with the dynamic duo, but also how she intertwines with the Justice Society of America. Most importantly, we get to see her learn why there's always triumph and tragedy to being a hero. That is it for my list. We'll see you all for next issue.